If you've always wanted to become a member of the Chicago History Museum, and let's be honest, all the cool kids are, now's your chance to do so and save a few bucks. New members can sign up using the code 23SUCHPOD, 23SUCHPOD, and save 20% from now through September 15th. Some exclusions apply. You can do this online at chicagohistory.org or by calling Hannah at 312-799-2113. Today I'm joined by author Jessica Mlinarek, whose writing and photography covering culture and travel has appeared in Chicago Magazine, Condé Nast Traveler, GQ, The Architect's Newspaper, and others. Her latest book is called Chicago Scavenger, The Ultimate Search for Chicago's Hidden Treasures. According to friend of the podcast, Jeffrey Bayer, quote, In an age when all too much of our exploration of the world has become virtual, this book gives us a challenging and fun way to experience Chicago's diverse neighborhoods in three dimensions and with our senses, end quote. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for having me, Tommy. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got to Chicago and and all that fun stuff. So I grew up in Cleveland. I'm not a Chicago native, surprisingly, with uh, two books on Chicago. But I moved here in 2009. I was laid off in the recession, and I just thought, good as time as any to move to Chicago. Um, I had some friends here. I loved visiting the city so I, I wanted to make it my home and I was hooked right from the start. I would go on bike rides, jogs around town in different neighborhoods. And I just had so many different questions about things that I saw that I would research them on my own, um, blog about them, started writing for other publications around town. And after many years, I had enough places to fill a book. Well, and that's uh, pretty impressive. I do like the fact, and it's such a great story for Chicago, that somebody who isn't from here falls so in love with the city that they decide to write books about it. I think having that outsider's eye does help because I would ask friends of mine who are native Chicagoans about a building or, you know, something I saw a piece of art and they, they maybe didn't notice it before because they were just so used to it. Um, and, and I feel that now when I go home to my hometown, the things that I was used to that didn't stand out to me before um, now do. So having that outsider's eye kind of sparks some curiosity and that thrill of discovery. Absolutely. Well, and there's a lot of stuff that, you know, my friend Eddie, who I grew up with, who I've known since grade school uh, and is a listener to the podcast, will call me up after listening to an episode and say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea about this event or this place or whatever, because there's only so much they can teach you in, in grade school. And certainly when we were growing up, they stuck to just like the top events. So you really kind of drilled down on some some very cool things before we get to the book of today. Uh, your first Chicago theme book was uh, Secret Chicago, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. Tell us more about that. Sure. So I used to say that that was like a scavenger hunt to weird and unusual places around town. Um, then I wrote an actual scavenger hunt book. But it's 90 places, um, most in the city, some in the suburbs around, that are bizarre, have a weird history, or some kind of secret hidden component. It was a lot of fun to write and research. So. 
the book today, Chicago Scavenger, The Ultimate Search for Chicago's Hidden Treasures, includes 17 chapters covering neighborhoods as far north as Rogers Park, uh, as far south as Pullman, contains pictures and clues to help readers with 300 museums, public artworks, nature areas, overlooked historical markers. I do want to circle back to overlooked historical markers uh, a little bit later. Charming cafes, uh, architectural oddities, and more. I feel like you really covered just about everything with this book. Well, the fun thing about this book, uh, the previous book, Secret Chicago, as I said, had to have kind of a unusual or hidden component to all the places that I featured. And here, there are many places like that. There's a bit of overlap. But I also just wanted to highlight um, some of the things that you might see that you would walk by in a neighborhood or just the things in the neighborhood, in the community that really... Um, speak to the culture of that neighborhood and the history of it. So, it, you know, if there could be a, a business, a restaurant, a public art, a park that maybe if you lived there, you would know about. But if you were traveling across town and you hadn't visited that neighborhood before, it would all be new to you. So I wanted to just kind of feature all of those components as well. One of the other great things about this is I don't think I found very many things where you have to go inside a building where you have to pay to access something. So really, it's once you have the book and and the wherewithal to go around a neighborhood, you can kind of find all these things without having to throw out a whole bunch of money to, to get to these different places. That was by design. So I started writing this book during the pandemic. About a year in, I was speaking with my publisher about ways to get people re-engaged with the city safely. So the idea is that all of the photo clues, all of the, uh, the riddles refer to things that you can find on the outside of the buildings so that you can, you know, team up with family or friends, but explore things outside safely. Uh, there are many restaurants, businesses, things like that. You may choose to go in, you know, architecture um, buildings, but you do not have to go in in order to solve the book. So um, make it accessible and get people engaged in the city. And for me, uh, I was I in my apartment for a year, uh, you know, going to the same park around my neighborhood. So it was a really nice way for me to get back out and remember why I love living here. Oh, nicely said. It, it really ties in well with something that regular listeners will know, which is when you're out and about, look up because you can see so much on buildings and and little things and little names and little thing, uh, little sculptures on top of buildings or ornamentation that really tells such a great story about this amazing city. How long had you been kicking around this idea before you brought it to Reedy Press? You said you wrote it during the pandemic, but I mean, was it kind of right away or is it something that you've been mulling about? I was definitely looking for something to do while I was sitting at home <laughs> in the pandemic. Um, but because I had done so much research for the first book, Secret Chicago, and for some of the other articles that I've written, I kind of had a, a great starting point, a great uh, amount of research that I'd already done uh, to pull from. So that made it getting started and getting going with this book. Uh, I had a lot of momentum. One of the other things I wrote down, which I, I need to mention, in a lot of your entries, uh, you included a great amount of places in history that showcase diversity and inclusion. Uh, so really, this book has something for everybody. So just wanted to commend you on that. If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, read a few of your entries to give listeners an idea of what's contained in the pages. Obviously, uh, it's kind of tough to tell in the audio-only version, but this uh, this is one of the ones that, that caught me off guard, and it's kind of right up front in the book. So I thought, oh, this book is going to be tough, and it's really going to show how much I have to learn, and I do a history podcast. Rogers Park, uh, the northmost uh, neighborhood they used, the entry is, 
Once a former ComEd substation, now showing literary adaptations, here children's plays come alive on stage since 1985. So I immediately knew it as the Lifeline Theater. There's there's <laughs> your first uh, spoiler, people uh, considering the book. Uh, but I didn't realize that the building had been used as a ComEd substation. So within four pages of the book, I'm learning something new. Uh, nicely done. Oh, thank you. That's whenever, <laughs> uh, you know, history buffs, Chicago lifelong, you know, fans tell me that they've learned something new from anything. I, as a, you know, I mean, I've been here for a little while now, a more recent Chicago resident, though. Uh, I know I've been doing my job, so I appreciate that. Heading a little bit farther south, Uptown, biggest theater built in Chicago for decades now. It's without a show, but there is hope for a future story and returning to its former glory. This was kind of an easy one for me, but I'll give listeners a moment to go, hmm, before I I mention Uptown Theater. Um, This is one that it would be cool if you could have gotten inside to get some pictures uh, by the way, speaking of the pictures, you include um, little portions of buildings or just a face or just enough to give a clue, which, again, nicely done. Thank you. Yes, there's 342 places oh. in the book. So I went to each and every one of them and photographed them. And as you said, there's just kind of a portion of that photograph visible in the book so that uh, when you get there, you will know that you have the, the right spot. Yeah, boy, the back of the book says uh, over 300 little-known restaurants, but uh, 342 are, you know, museums, restaurants, and and all the rest, uh, cafes. Um, uh, but 342, that's fantastic. I wasn't counting. Now I feel uh, not as bad about reading a few of these because it turns out you actually <laughs> sure. have more than, than I thought. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go on to another one if you don't mind. I should have made you read these. I'm sure people would rather hear your voice. Um, Lincoln Park, on this history trail, this hunk of stone formed from rock, molten iron, and brick. The worst disasters the city has known, proof of resilience, lies in this relic. I'm I'm not going to tease you for some of these uh, patterns here. Um, I'll give people a moment to think about that. Now, this is one that thousands of people drive past, walk past, bike past every day. And I wonder how many people stop and and take the time to notice it, right? So for those of you listening who don't know what it is, at the corner of Clark and LaSalle, uh, right by the Chicago History Museum is the Chicago History Trail, um, where they have a giant piece, and I always forget how heavy it is, but it's a giant piece of molten mass uh, from the Great Chicago Fire. There was a hardware store, as I recall the story, uh, you can probably, I can't explain it better, but I won't let you. Uh, hardware store that burned to the ground, all the stuff fell to the basement and burned, and all the metals and tools and everything else formed this giant clump, which was unearthed some 20 years later, I think, when they were uh, redoing the building. Well, that's one of my favorites uh, because it used to be hidden in the bushes behind the History Museum. I kind of love that being a fan of secret places. I loved that you had to go to the terrace behind the History Museum, find the right set of bushes, and then step on top of the bench and look down over and peek over the bushes to see this relic. Uh, I love that hidden aspect. But of course, now it's front and center at the New History Trail. So much more appropriate, much more accessible for everyone to come and visit. And you can actually touch it. You can see like coins and things embedded into all of that massive um, iron and stone that you were talking about. So it's a piece of history from the fire that you can actually interact with, which I think is great. 
Now, do you keep track of all the different entries to see if anything has changed dramatically for like, you know, the revised version of the book uh, down the line? I do. And I tried to pick things and places and, you know, businesses that were pretty established in the city. However, there's things like um, there was a, a dinosaur replica in front of the Field Museum that was included. It had been there for decades and they just moved it. So <laughs> there are there will be a, a few things that, you know, we'll have to update. But um, Chicago is always changing and that's a great thing. Thank you. Um, all right. I'm going to move on to uh, another one, if I may. All the way in the loop. Tallest load-bearing building of brick, no ornament on its walls, so thick the other half was built with steel frame, an eastern mountain in its name. Give everyone a moment to think. They probably know if they're Chicago fans. But this is the uh, Medadnock building. Uh, I just went on a tour there recently. I honestly did not know until just last week why it was named the Medadnock building. And, of course, it's because of Mount Medadnock, which is in uh, New Hampshire. I learned that from... Uh, my my tour guide, uh, which was super cool. Um, and and I love, again, I, I can't imagine this book not including this, but I just love the way that you uh, referred to it within your lines here. So. Thank you. I am not a poet or I was not one before this book. So the whole- I, the I think we can song. agree you're still not a poet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of these are great, really. It's, yes, it's, it was challenging to include enough history, enough physical context of where folks could find all of these places and, and make it rhyme and have, you know, have it follow some kind of a pattern. Although, you know, um, open to criticism there on my poetry skills. I felt a bit like Dr. Seuss after a while thinking and writing and rhyme, but I did have a lot of fun with it and it was a, it was a fun challenge. Listen, you were able to use the word um, resilience and uh, although you didn't, uh, I guess you didn't rhyme resilience. There were a couple of rhymes that were a little, but I have a, a musician yeah. friend who will, bend a word in an awkward way to make it fit within her song. And I often tease her about that. So anyway, all right, on to Bridgeport, a classic bar and liquor store, the matriarch's name above the door. If you're hungry, grab nearby seats and enjoy Korean Polish eats. I love that one so much. And again, anyone from that area knows it immediately, but for anyone else listening that has never been to Maria's packaged goods, it's, pretty much a must-see experience. Um, and again, certainly during the summer, the reason that I'm super happy about having you on today is so much of this stuff makes a great neighborhood walking tour slash scavenger hunt, and I can't think of a better time to do it than right now in Chicago. Well, thank you. And I arranged each of the seven, it's basically 17 neighborhood tours, and I arranged them in an order that I thought made sense um, of course, you can do it in any order that you would like, but within each neighborhood, I put them kind of the things that were closer together in a, in a path that made sense to me. So you may, it's a recommended path. It's a spiral bond book, so it makes it a little bit easier to kind of fold back and keep your place and, and keep all the notes. Uh, and I'm sure that was by design as well. Was that your idea or Reedy Publishing's idea? That was my publisher's great idea to have, you know, the the space that you can write in. Um, so I know some folks will write down the date that they visited each place. And then, yes, it is spiral bound. So you can kind of take it on the go. It's meant to be used on the go. So uh, I saw the spaces. Obviously, I figured people could make notes, but uh, I hadn't even thought that people could keep track of when they uh, visited each of the places and kind of keep a, a nice little moving history calendar of all their adventures. Or write down what you ate at the restaurants. I should say on my website, uh, chicagoscavenger.com, if you are the type of person who is maybe competitive or you want to track your progress, 
I have a, a tracker there so you can upload photos of each destination and then I'll track all the places you've been, uh, the number of places you've been. And then for anyone who finishes in any amount of time, I have a custom poster that was designed that I will mail you. So, so far, one person has redeemed the poster for solving every riddle, going to every place in the book. She said it took her about three months, but there are several others who are on their way. Well, kudos to the person who finished all that. And I'm sure the, that uh, poster looks pretty amazing. I'm sure they have it up uh, you know, proudly. All right, we're going to do, uh, I think we'll do one more, if I may, because I really like this uh, one a lot. I actually have two more because I said I would circle back about the historical marker. Uh, Pullman, which uh, National Historic Landmark, Chicago's only national park. Yes, I think I have that worded right. Anyway, when you see arches all around these curved two-story flats you've found in the center, all that remains once used for meat, veggies, and grains. See, nailed that one. So th this is super easy because I've already said the neighborhood, of course. It's Pullman Market Square, part of the amazing Pullman tour. It's where all of the workers back in the day used to kind of... Uh, uh, group and well, you can explain it better, please. Oh, sure. So Pullman was built as a company town uh, for the the employees of the Pullman Palace train car company. It was supposed to be a utopian community, and there were many labor strikes uh, against those utopian ideals of the that the uh, corporation was imposing on its residents and its workers, which is why that it's significant in labor history and why it's a national monument. But uh, a lot of the architecture is preserved today. Um, so it's very cool to walk around and you can see the differences between the brick homes that were built for the executives for the factory. Then there's, um, honeymoon row where you can see the small homes for new families versus, you know, kind of the boarding house type, um, brick buildings that were for, you know, the everyday laborers. And, uh, yeah, so they had the markets and the square here. Now it, um, it's not in great shape, the market portion of it. Hopefully it'll be restored one day, but, uh, the colonnade around the outside is still in great shape. And, um, it's a great little trip through history to walk through the community. And it's a thriving community of people who, um, you know, open their doors to visitors every fall, usually October, they do a house tour and you can go in and see the insides of these homes. Um, very interesting spot in Chicago history. It's it's a great little walk. It's so wide open and there's so much to see in that area. And I kind of fell in love with it, um, even though it's it's a wee bit far south for uh, a lot of my activities. Uh, but who knows? That may change. So I mentioned earlier um, something about the hidden historical markers or something is how it's worded on your book. Here's the one that I want to mention. This goes all the way back to Rogers Park. Behind a city box, a sign at Clark and Rogers recalls the line between indigenous and settler lands. A park bears its name to the south. It stands. This is, again, one that I was unaware of a couple of years ago and uh, loved reading about it. Uh, but why don't you tell me about Indian Boundary Line? I'm going to get the treaty mixed up here, but there was a, a treaty between the indigenous people who lived in Chicago and, you know, the interlopers who came in and uh, settled on the land, you know, saying this is the dividing line. Uh, and this happened a few times in history where they would, the, the white settlers kept moving the line further and further and taking over more, more indigenous land um, and not staying very true to their word. But this was uh, a line that was uh, formed down, I believe, Clark Street. Um, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the markers at Clark, but, uh, there's an Indian boundary park also. And so that is 
in honor of the indigenous people as well, because it was located along this line that once existed. And then of course that treaty was broken and you know we have the land that we have today. Um, in the park, there are uh, in the field house uh, carvings of Native Americans and um, you know plaques in the park to kind of commemorate that history. Um, and then the actual marker that this clue is referencing is behind a, uh, a a box like an electrical box. Yeah, I think it's a traffic um, box because yes, Chicago, of course, you know, it's blocking the historical marker. So, I mean, uh, yes, that's that's so Chicago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Makes again, crazy. the kind Makes of a crazy. hidden piece of history. Yeah, uh, you have to you have to get out of your car and kind of walk up to in order to read because you can't quite see it behind this box. If anyone listening Googles um, Indian boundary line plaque or monument or something, all of the pictures are taken at such an extreme angle because of this giant traffic box that's in front of it. So truly, it is a hidden cool thing, but I'm sure the people that spent all the time you know, coming up with this great marker didn't expect that this giant traffic box would be put in front of it, so... Some of the city Ugh. departments aren't talking to each other, I think. Uh, not yeah, that's, I but mean, especially, that's a, uh, for this piece of indigenous history. I would, I would love for it to be on full display. A few more questions for you, if I may. Do you still find yourself scribbling notes about things that you see and think, um, oh, this would be good for volume two of Chicago Scavenger? Every day. At, the great thing about Chicago, as I'm sure you can attest to, is that it's endlessly interesting the more I read and learn and talk to other folks and visit communities in Chicago, the more questions I have, the more I want to keep researching. So uh, absolutely. Nice. Without giving it too much thought, describe your perfect Chicago day. Oh my gosh. Okay. Perfect Chicago day. Okay. Well, let's see. I'm going to say that I'm going to start I live in Wicker Park. There's a great little cafe that opened last year on Western called Sunray Cafe. They do a uh, Filipino breakfast. So I really enjoy, they have a, a Manila breakfast plate I enjoy a lot. So I'd probably take my bike there and then either go to Humboldt Park and hang out or maybe take my bike over to the lake. Yeah, I think the perfect Chicago day needs some lakefront action. So maybe ride through Lincoln Park, um, go past some of the many, you know, sculptures, pieces of public art there. I, I always admire doing that. Um, hit up the beach a little bit. And let's see, after that, I'm probably going to need a, a beer or a cocktail. <laughs> you have a go-to spot for that? Oh, so many. Uh, <laughs> I love the Matchbox uh, oh, sure. in River West. That's in the book. It's the smallest bar in Chicago. So maybe go over to that patio. They also have a train car that they've converted into a cocktail bar there. So you can't miss it, even though it is the smallest bar in the city. They have some great outdoor patio space. So I might I might visit them. Um, and then dinner. Oh, gosh, I don't know. There's way too many choices. There's I, not a lot of restaurants me. and bars in Wicker Park, so it, it should be easy to know it down. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's all bars and restaurants and everything else. That sounds like an amazing Chicago day. I think so. You got to have food in an amazing Chicago day. Well, sure. <laughs> Sure. You got to, you know, mm -hmm. you got to uh, have the, the fuel to get through all that fun stuff. Um, so you're super creative. You've got two books um, uh, published. What's what's next on your plate uh, for creativity, writing, taking photographs, learing oboe? Well, I, what are you up to? 
I've got in this room a few guitars that I are very dusty. So maybe if I stop writing books, I'll take some lessons someday. But uh, I did just get a new camera. I'm very excited to get out in the city and play with that this summer, as well as I do have some ideas for, for the next writing project in very early stages that might uh, explore Chicago and beyond a little bit more. Oh, I'm always curious about the beyond. So that is something to look forward to. Jessica Mlinarik, the author of Chicago Scavenger, The Ultimate Search for Chicago's Hidden Treasures. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me for all the work you do telling Chicago stories. Fantastic. Oh, stop. You're making me blush. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode about Chicago Scavenger, the ultimate search for Chicago's hidden treasures. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. Special thanks to author Jessica Mlinarik. You can find links to her books, as well as other items related to this subject and other parts of Chicago's amazing history in the show's notes. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider, Aces Johnny. He can be found at JKS on Instagram or via email at angelizeartjks at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible and do so with the Chicago Scavenger book. Learn more about whatever city you live in, and please stay safe. Have you done podcasts before? Um, I've done more radio shows than podcasts. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've never lowered yourself to podcasts? I uh, feel No, I just, you know, there haven't been that many great Chicago history podcasts before. So. Oh, well, now I'm going to include that somewhere in this.